tight plate. Seven oh one. So much to talk about tonight on Ira on Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. Mike and Sean got you covered as well. Huge show on tap for you. Don't know in my life if I've ever seen a crazier weekend of NCAA basketball. Just absolutely amazing. Of course, we're going to be talking about that. Mike Isolino, our good friend, coach at Robert Morris. He's popping by uh, in just a little bit. And then, Ira, you have a very special guest coming on right about 730. You want to tell us about Steve? Coach Donahue is uh, uh, from the University of Pennsylvania, and he has a little expertise in terms of he's been to the NCAA um, four times. I just took two different. He's taken two different Ivy League teams to the NCAA's, and then back in 2010, his team went 29 and five. They were a 12 seed, and they beat a five seed, and then the fourth seed, Wisconsin, to make it to the Sweet 16. Absolutely, he's amazing. one of the, I think only a dozen coaches to take a seeding team 12 or, or, or less and make it to the NCAA Sweet 16. Uh, Ira, you've got a little bit of a tie to UPenn too, so maybe that's how we finagled this. Well, <laughs> I certainly love Penn, and uh, Coach Donahue, though, has been, he's coached at Cornell, he's coached at Boston College, and he's coached at Penn, and he's a phenomenal coach, and, and certainly Penn next year, you're starting to see in this tournament, and then you'll see next year, the teams that, it's, okay, they're not in the power conferences, but they're winning games. The yeah. Loyola Chicago, they're winning games. Nevada, winning games. They can beat these teams. It, it, it was truly just a phenomenal weekend, and I can't wait to talk about it much more in depth with you guys, because you're great at it. Like I said, Steve Donahue, uh, coach at Penn at 730, Mike Isolino, coach at Robert Morris right around 7.15. We start every Ira on sports asking Ira where he's been. So what were you up to this past week, Guy? We'll quickly say three minor league baseball games, which we'll get to later. So I saw <laughs> the Marlins and Cardinals play, Marlins-Mets, and then today I was over at uh, Ballpark of Palm Beaches and saw the minor league game there. And then the most important thing, though, was I was in Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh region, and I saw four games on, on Thursday and two games on Saturday. You know what? I've never attended... An NCAA tournament day. I know you've done it plenty of times. It's probably such a great value because you can stay there all day, right? You have to buy two tickets, but it is absolutely oh, a morning amazing. and an afternoon. Morning or- and afternoon and evening session, but it is amazing. I saw so many of my friends because I'm, of course, around Pittsburgh, bring their kids. Uh, I know a person who works every day, seven days a week. He took today off, that day off and was there the whole day. <laughs> it's more relaxing. You have 30 minutes in between games. So you watch a game, you have 30 minutes, then you have to watch another game. Then you have a whole dinner break. You can go and have dinner with your friends, come back, watch two more games. And it's just a fun day. It's awesome to be there. The excitement, you're in the NCAA tournament. I know it's great sitting in front of the TV and seeing every other game that's happening, but it's just great to be there mm. and feel the atmosphere. And there's no other atmosphere like like NCAA tournament basketball. You won't find that anywhere else. And every sport, you know, hockey's got its own intensity. Baseball's got its own lack of intensity, if you want to call it that. Football's got its own um, swagger. But there's nothing like being there. I want to talk about PPG Arena in just a minute. But first of all, while you're in Pittsburgh, Ira, what games did you see? Well, the first game was Oklahoma versus Rhode Island, and I Rhodey was Rams. and I was real excited to see this game because we keep talking about Trey Young. Trey Young's the point guard, freshman point guard for Oklahoma. He's had some amazing games, scored forty points, everything. And I just, the first time I saw him in person, and he had a good game against Rhode Island. He scored twenty eight points, seven assists, six turnovers. At, he played well. They lost. But I was not that impressed with him. I, he's, <laughs> he's listed as 6'2". He was Very standing. Tiny. He, yeah, was, he doesn't seem 6'2". At 180. He was 6'2", 180. And, he's about 160. And he was, 5'11". He was standing next to some short referees. And he was shorter <laughs> than the referee. But more than that, on defense, I could see him getting pushed around. When you look at a Steph Curry, you can see some. Steph Curry is stronger. He can fight around. I mean, everybody compares him to Steph Curry. He is just so, he's just not beefy enough. I think in the end, he was having trouble in Rhode Island to get around picks, to play good defense um i i mean he should really stay another year he won't but he should stay another year but i just don't see him as being a lottery pick first two or three picks to pick it i don't want to derail the conversation but i feel like this is the way the nba draft goes now i mean look at um you you know guys like him markel fultz looks like a child he's he's a small guy but i guess that's what it is now you have to draft 18 and 19 year olds ira and hope that they grow and the problem with Trey Young is that he is more of a shooting guard, but he's too small to be a shooting guard. Mm. And then the next game I saw was, was um, Alabama Virginia Tech, Colin Sexton. Now, Colin Sexton is a little bigger, a little stronger than Trey Young, mm-hmm. but he 
is a more pure point guard. His passes were amazing. He ran the court well. He had a great win against Virginia Tech. Now, I know the next day he didn't play well against Nova, mm. but against Virginia Tech, he was he was had 25 points, six assists, and almost the same stats that Trey Young had, but it seemed to be more of a present, more of a true point guard, and at that size, he can play point guard in the NBA. I, I want to just play devil advocate on the comparison for Trey Young to Steph Curry. You know what I mean? Steph Curry obviously came on the scene. He did stay uh, the, you know, the, the few years at Davidson. He had the, you know, I think they made it to the, to the Elite Eight yeah, uh, that eight. next year they came and they played Duke at Duke. I think they won that game. That was like the first game of the year. Um, I think he was either a junior or a senior. But, you know, same thing with Steph Curry. Steph Curry wasn't Steph Curry when he first came into the league. He wasn't. He had to put size on, mm-hmm. and that's what these guys have to do. Now, Trey Young is going to go in the top 15 picks. You know, is he a top 10 player? I do think he is. We're also, when we're comparing him and we're looking at, you know, I always look at a player, right? So, like, Ben Simmons, where he came out and he played and was like, okay, well, you didn't even make the tournament. How can I take this guy with the number one overall pick? Now, I'm not saying Trey Young is in that in that conversation, but he is a top five considered guy. And you had Oklahoma lose, what, 11 of their last 15 back in? So where it comes to the leadership, what the scouts are saying for NBA teams are like, who is he playing with? Yeah. Nobody. He has <laughs> nobody. He has to score 30 points a game just to even stay close. You know, so where Ira brings up a good point. I wasn't that impressed too because it was one of the games where you know I actually got to really sit down, watch it. I thought it was a great game, by the way. Um, Rhode Island, a great win. I think it was what eighty three seventy eight was the final. Um, so very, very competitive game. Um, I didn't expect Rhode Island to win, but you know they definitely earned it. Um, but where it comes to that Trey Young comparison, and I, I do believe that Steph Curry kind of comparison is is what it needs to be because. Steph Curry took a few years in the NBA where everybody was claiming he was a bust. Oh, he's too small. He can't do this. He was injured all the time. He had the bad ankles. And now he's, you know, the second best player in the league or third best player in the league with, you know, James Harden and LeBron James. So, um... Patience with Trey Young. I know he's a tinier guy, well, but, all of these but guys that's where the though. NBA is. That's where the game is. Listen, now. I love Bam out of Bayou, uh, Miami's draft pick, but that guy needs to get bigger. <laughs> he's still a, a freakish athlete, but it's the same thing. Like, Fultz. Not that I didn't think he was a great player, but just looking at him, he doesn't yeah. look NBA ready. But 708, hang on, Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean, we got you covered as well. Let's talk about future NBA players. We're talking about Trey Young. What's your takeaways on Colin Sexton, Ira? I mean, this is a guy, I think, Sean, you're really high on him, yep. NBA style. What do you think we're going to get out of Sexton going forward? I thought he was he he definitely the offense they ran was more of a point guard where he's distributing and I felt that defensively he was excellent he pushed the ball off the floor I think he made amazing passes I mean he must have had against um, the first game seven or eight passes either not not all assists but they were like what a great pass yeah. and then even against Nova look they got down against Nova they were struggling on Saturday they weren't playing well but he really he tried to fight them back he played well at the end and and tried to keep him in the game I I really liked Colin Sexton I think. Look, he's not. I don't know if I can say he's going to be the you know first team all star, yeah. but he seems to be someone who could have a solid NBA career, and he's made himself better. He wasn't one of the top hundred as a junior in high school. He was not one of the top really? hundred no. recruits. No. So he's just been rocking. I like players like that that keep getting better and better and better. Chip on their shoulder. Yeah. He came out and, and he and he went to Alabama with a chip on his shoulder. He's not he's not playing even like Oklahoma, right? You might think that's a powerhouse, but they're they're a perennial top twenty five team. You know, every single year. Um, you know, he didn't get. I don't think he got offers from Duke or Carolina. You know, he went to Alabama, you know, not a not a obviously a football school. Um, but the thing is with him, when you watch him, he always makes the right play. That's what jumps off when you watch him. He is a pure point guard that has basketball IQ through the roof, you know, and, and that's the and one that's thing what I, you I want. And I exactly. And the tenacity too, where where Ira brought it up, you know, Trey Young isn't playing defense, not because of a will thing, because he's, he's too small. I mean, Colin Sexton really gets after it on the defensive side of the ball, um, and, and, and he wants it. And when, like I said, when you go back and you watch him play, it's that basketball IQ that really jumps off the charts for me where I think he'll be a great pro. Mike Isolino, coach at Robert Morris, joins us at five minutes. Steve Donahue, coach at UPenn, joins us at 7.30, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. Ira, I'm a big hockey guy, and I love the way PPG Arena looks on TV when I watch the Penguins. Never really anticipated seeing basketball there. What's PPG Arena like? Well, I think it's 
it, certainly for hockey, it's amazing. I think for basketball, well it's, a, it's a it's just a perfect arena. People love it. I mean, they were sad when they lost the Civic Arena, mm-hmm. and they felt that had the old historical value. But I think PBG is perfect. It's, it's great that it's located downtown. You can just walk to the restaurants, come right back. So I love the location. I think there's it was just it's a great it was a great venue for this because you could go visit people, talk to friends. The ushers weren't driving you crazy when you're trying to move around between seats. So it was very good. So I enjoyed that. One of my favorite things about Pittsburgh and going to sporting events there. I've been to Heinz Field is just the way everything's set up downtown. It's everything's so accessible in Pittsburgh. No issues getting in and out. Great places to tailgate. It's really for being not a major city, it's really set up very well for watching live sporting events. The only problem is that Thursday when these games, and wherever you go, if you go to one of these games, usually nobody ever plays, like the NBA is not playing in the afternoon in a weekday game, mm-hmm. and the ho- hockey is not playing. But when they have these tournaments, you're playing in the afternoon, so it's hard to find parking. And then on Saturday, there's St. Patrick's Day Parade, and there's a lot of Irish in uh, Pittsburgh. So there was a huge parade going all around, and that made it a little difficult. Ira, I made the mistake of trying to get a haircut at Barber's Edge in Jupiter on, you know, literally right there in Abacoa at 2 o'clock on Saturday. Probably the dumbest thing I've ever d- done in my life. Got a huge baseball game going on, plus their St. Patrick's Day festivities. Everything was shut down. I had to park basically into Cuesta and walk just, just to get a haircut. But th- it, th- this is what you have to deal with when a lot of fun stuff's going on. About three minutes till Mike Isolino joins us. So let's talk just a minute of spring training because you said you made it to a few games. How's Roger Dean looking? Well, I saw the Marlins play the Mets, and also the Marlins play the Cardinals. And then I saw today, I saw the, the Mets play the Astros. Mm-hmm. And really, the only major takeaway is that when you go to the Astros, they just announced Atolve signed a $171 million contract. Yeah. So you're hearing the Astros, we're keeping our young stars, we're paying them a lot of money, and we have Justin Verlander on our mound. <laughs> and then you go to the Marlins, and their starting pitcher, who's their ace, couldn't even get out of the first <laughs> inning. And, Wei Yin and, Chen is going to assume that job. And and and, and, and Hina, you know, he he. That's he, always they, good. They, when you pull your ace, <laughs> when you pull your ace after giving up seven runs in the first inning, that's not good. And I think that's the I think that's the problem. And then when they were playing the Marlins, and Asuna is is batting cleanup for the Cardinals, mm-hmm. and who I could predict is going to win maybe win the National League MVP, playing cleanup for the Cardinals, and then also Stanton could win the MVP in the National League. You could be trading away two potential MVPs. Well, they already traded away one MVP from last. <laughs> year and basically got nothing back. Thank you for that. Uh, Derek Jeter, loving you in New York. Two minutes till Mike Isolino joins us. Um, about Roger Dean, did you notice a difference now that Tim Tebow is not there? I'm sure it was not nearly as hectic as it was three weeks ago when he was still on that club. Um, I still think there's a, the Mets have a lot of fans. There's tons of yeah, excitement for that. And certainly the Cardinal fans are amazing. I did notice when you went to the ballpark at the Palm Beaches and saw the Astros today and Verlander, the excitement around this team. I mean, they just won the World Series. The, oh all their God, players, yeah. we, every single player, you know who they're at, who they are. Mm-hmm. They're professional. They're ready to go. I and mean, they've signing. They're all young. I mean, they, the Astros look like a team. It's like wow. I mean, yeah. they're going to be great for ten years from now. Mm-hmm. And that's they're like the, they're like a standard of the whole baseball right now. You want to know what's so funny? What was it? three years ago the report comes out that st louis which is probably one of the best run franchises in baseball one of the most storied is stealing houston's data they're stealing their scouting reports and stuff and i'm like houston (laughs) these guys stink who was gonna steal houston's information obviously st louis was smart enough to know there was a, a burgeoning of talent coming up a burgeoning of talent coming up through that system and as a yankee fan don't really like to see them for the next decade or so <laughs> no. trying to battle my guys. Um, uh, what about Ballpark of the Palm Beaches? I, I haven't been there yet. What's your takeaway on, on that? It looks beautiful for Military Trail in 45th. Yeah, it's a, it's a great stadium. Um, it, it's certainly tons of concessions. Easy to get in, easy to get out. Um, I hate the Nets. I hate the Nets. The Nets are, they have Nets mm, around the whole stadium. The Trust whole me, you thing. go there. There's Nets all to the outfield and center field. So I have a, we'll talk about the Nets another time. But it's a great stadium, and it's great sight lines. And, uh, you know, it's it's – Truthfully, this is an amazing time. If you want to come and watch baseball, come down. You can see games every all day, all for the whole month. There's always a game go to every team, so it's amazing. This is Ira on Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel 715. Mike Balsamo, Sean McGregor, uh, got you covered as well. Sean, have you been to the new ballpark of the Palm Beaches? No, I have not. Uh, but I used to live right around the corner, and I agree with uh, with Ira on the Nets being unsightly. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's. I mean, I guess I understand the safety, and we've seen. 
a couple of instances in years past, and I understand it's a spring training game. You, there's a lot of kids there. Maybe people aren't paying as much attention as they would be if it was Wei Yin Chen on the mound at Marlins Park <laughs> and not at Roger Dean Stadium. Uh, Mike Isolino should be popping in here in just a couple of minutes. Also, uh, Steve Donahue, he's the coach at UPenn. He's going to be joining us right about 730. Um Let's talk a little bit about Duke first, Ira. And we're going to get into this uh, with Mike Isolino, who, who's coming up on the line. What was your takeaways from Duke o- over the weekend? Well, I saw Duke play Iona in the first game. And then, you know, easily a vict- an easy victory for them. And then I saw Duke, you know, win in the second game against Rhode Island. Another easy victory. It was, it was interesting. Villanova had two easy victories. They played Radford. Radford was exciting because all their fans got off the bus. They're, they're going to lose by 30, but they were pumped and ready to go. So, <laughs> But Duke and Villanova just professionally won their games. And I think yeah. that the UMBC-Virginia game got Duke focused about Rhode Island. I mean, I have, they were serious. Yeah. They were ready to go. Um, as I've said before, look at Trayvon Duvall at Duke. If he plays great, Duke's wins. I mean, the first yeah. game, he, he had his best game against Iona. He had shot 7 for 11, 4 for 5 and 3s, 8 assists. He played amazing. Against, and against Rhode Island, he also played well. But it's interesting that both, I mean, that the whole country on Saturday afternoon sat down, we're going to watch Duke, we're going to watch Nova, and they both win by 20 points. And yeah. the game's on sleepers. Seven seventeen. this is Iron Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. Got a lot of fun coming up for you. The New York Jets pulling a move that I think is a little bit surprising. We'll discuss that in a little while. Also about how this affects everybody else in the draft because this has to be a big shakeup for the teams like Denver uh, and whatnot. Special hello to our friends listening, TrueOldiesFLA.com. G Loche and his crew all the way from New York. You could chime in as well anytime. 877-960-9960. Mike Isolino joins us. He's our coach at Robert Morris, our NCAA expert. Mike, usually I like to give you a little bit of a hard time uh, when, when you come on the show, but... I can't. I just have to congratulate you on taking Buffalo oh over God. Arizona. We all laughed at you. Uh, nice job, Mikey. <laughs> I appreciate that one. It was, uh, you know, sometimes when you uh, when you play teams, you know them a little bit better, especially when you do the scout on them. Yeah. And you, uh, you, you know how good they are. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happens during the season that uh, doesn't happen in the NCAA during the season most of the mid-majors don't get the opportunity to play five, Power 5 conferences mm-hmm. on either a neutral floor or at their own home floor. You're always going to their place. Uh, Mike, um, so, you know, it makes it more difficult. Mike, not only have you played in the NCAA tournament, coached in it, you've been around college basketball for, I don't want to date you, maybe three decades. <laughs> um, is this the craziest tournament opening weekend you've ever seen? Um, I think so. I mean, in terms of with, with UMBC win, yeah, uh, the first crazy. time ever out of 130-some, that, that probably ranks up there. And um, some of the crazy games, the Michigan game was was incredible. Uh-huh. The comeback by Nevada was, was just amazing. Crazy. And then I think, yeah, and, and also I think some of the uh, – some, the, the other side of that is I think some of the teams that everybody thought were evenly matched ended up being 20, 25-point games. Yeah. Uh, and that that was really uh, interesting there. It, I love that the lack of, or the, the, I should say the parity uh, that's coming up, because was it the South region, the top seed left in the South is a five seed. That never happens through one weekend. Ira, what do you think? Craziest opening weekend ever? It's hard to say because there's been some crazy when Virginia Commonwealth that one year just started beating every good team. So I think every time we're a prisoner of the moment. Of what, but yeah. the UMBC win, um, we'll talk about after Mike's the show, but I th- the UMBC win over Virginia. All time. Uh, the best, biggest upset all, all of, time. Uh, of all time. And, <laughs> and considering insane. that the number one upset before that was was Virginia losing to Chaminade, yeah. Uh, yeah. That the fact that Virginia's now been part of both of those. But that, that I think, when a 16 beats a 1, and actually in the excitement of the game, it was on prime, it was on night, everybody's watching yeah. it, the whole country is texting around saying, Turn this game on, turn this game on, turn this game on. And the so. overall number one. And, and and the thing about it is, too, that game I don't think ended until like 1230 at night. So so it was like everybody woke up mm. to kind of that game. And and it was just so unlike Virginia where you, what were they known for? Their defense. And and UMBC is just getting uncontested, you know, drives you know down the lane. And it was just – it was so remarkable watching it and, and watching, you know, Virginia essentially just self-destruct. I mean – Never have I ever experienced a March Madness like this, and I and I like how you did say that, Ira. We are a prisoner of the moment, but I I can't recall any Arizona Buffalo like this is it's been it's been incredible. So um, I I've thoroughly enjoyed this uh, this tournament so far. I know you guys cling to it. Um, Mike Isolino joins us, coach at Robert Morris. Mike, 
I want to ask you what your biggest shocker is from the tournament. And obviously we can throw out uh, UMBC because we, that's going to be uh, discussed for years and generations to come. Besides that, what was your biggest shock from the weekend? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, um, probably that Nevada and yeah. Loyola is still, they're going to play to go to the Elite Eight. One of those two teams are going to be in the Elite Eight uh, next, you know, next Saturday or Friday or uh, Saturday or Sunday, whatever they play. Um, you know, that's probably the biggest shocker because I don't think anybody had Nevada or Loyola going to the Elite Eight. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think the other thing is is how well some teams that have been uh, middle of the road in their power conferences have played. I think, you know, Texas A&M performance was phenomenal, phenomenal. this weekend. Um, I think they have a lot, of, uh, a lot of intangibles. They almost remind me a little bit of South Carolina last year where nobody really talks about them, but they're, they probably have three or four pros on the team that are really good. Um, you know, and that, that, that dismantling of, of North Carolina was very, very impressive. Um, you know, obviously I, I was at the, I attended the Villanova game and I attended the Duke game. Um, both of those had easy routes um, to, to, to the uh, Sweet 16. So it'll be interesting to see um, how all these games play out. You know, people talk about, all the upsets and stuff. I'm not sure how much upsets there, there is anymore. You know, I mean, I think there's so much. So many teams are going to be be equal. I think that really the only upset teams throughout the rest of the tournament would be Loyola or Nevada, uh, because I think any of the other 14 teams could could win the win the NCAA tournament. Well, Mike, in just a minute, we're going to talk about uh, who's your upset going into the Sweet 16. Also, we're going to get new Final Fours from everybody because. I think everyone's brackets uh, at least halfway uh, busted at this point. Ira, what about you? Besides UMBC, what's your biggest shock from the weekend? I, there's a lot of shocks. I think when I watched the Clemson Auburn game, and I mean, when it, when a team is now playing for the Sweet 16 and they're down 40 points, mm-hmm. and when the line was two, um, <laughs> I I just could not believe that Auburn couldn't compete in that game. Yeah, I mean, that was not. Surprised. And Auburn is a you know an elite team has great victories all year, and just I, I understand losing by 10 or 15. They're down 40 at the start of the second half. And I think Crazy. to me that was just the biggest shock. Uh, Sean, what about you? Your biggest shocker for the weekend? I, I, I think the last team from Power Conference, Syracuse. You know, maybe not over TCU, but to beat Michigan State, I know that you know that game came down to the wire. But we were talking about you know them being the biggest shocker to just to get in, yeah, just to be, and in then there. to 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 beat you know a Michigan State team that's been ranked in the top ten pretty much all year, um, a powerhouse. Uh, I, I was just, I, I still can't believe they're still in the tournament. Mike Isolino joins us on the line here. Iron Sports ninety five nine True Oldies Channel at seven twenty three. Uh, Mike, he's Sean as well. Uh, he's a coach at Robert Morris. Mike. Tournament MVP, and we're going to get into Syracuse in just a moment because I want to hear Ira's takes on them versus Duke because he's going to be a little bit rustled over there. Yeah, I mean, well, looking, they're just a little bit upset about Duke. But, Mike, uh, first and foremost, tournament MVP so far. If you had to pick one kid out of the two games, who's your MVP? Oh, wow. Um, Not making it easy on you. <laughs> we never do. <laughs> no, I mean, there's been such, such some, some really, really great performances. Um Obviously, um, uh, the kid from Villanova was phenomenal the yeah. other day. Um, Bridges uh, was phenomenal, hitting all those threes. The whole team was re- really good. Um, you know, I, I, I think that that's really hard to say right now. There's one guy that's really, you know, we talked about this earlier last week. You guys said who was going to be the standout if anybody's surprised. You know, people named Colin Sexton and all that. And, you know, he shot a dud on, on against Villanova, didn't play well. And <clears throat> obviously, they got blown out. So. I'm not sure who who would be the number one player right now to say, hey, this guy is the tournament MVP. Uh, Ira, I will put you on that spot. What do you think? Who's your MVP so far? Jarius Lyles for UMBC. You beat a number one <laughs> seed. You you hit the shots. You, the way he played, you're going to go. You're going against the number one defense in the country, and you uh, shoot eight for nine and score twenty eight points. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's uh, that's amazing, amazing performance by him. It was so exciting, and the, and I thought they he played great against Kansas State to come back, and they were in that game tied at the end. It was that was exciting too. So I'm, my MVP is Jarius Lyles. I might make him the MVP of the tournament <laughs> just on that one. Two games, that's all we needed to see out of you. Uh, Shawnee, what do you think MVP so far? Well, we joked around and I said, I just want to give it to every team that was an underdog because it's made this tournament so special it's to watch. Uh, but I honestly, 
I feel like I have to go Bagley uh, from Duke. Only, I mean, he's averaging 22 and 8. And for Duke right now, they're doing what other teams, these top teams, couldn't do, business as usual. Um, Coach K's got his team rocking and rolling, and, and Bagley is just that type of player. I mean, when you watch him, to me, he's the closest thing that I've seen to Kevin Garnett in a long time. Both sides of the ball. He's aggressive on offense, uh, tenacious on defense, um, and I, I just think that kid's special, and it's going to be between him and, I, and Aton from Arizona for that top overall pick. And, and the fact that we're getting more of a sample size from Bagley uh, in the tournament um, and, and you know, it looks as if, you know, it's going to come down to, to Duke, Kansas. And if Duke could get, you know, to play Villanova, get in, um, you just have more of that sample size of him on film where I think uh, Bagley is going to carry Duke to uh, a championship at this point. Mike Isolino, he's a coach at Robert Morris. Mike, you nailed an amazing upset for us last week. <laughs> so you're back on the hot seat. <laughs> upset alert. Which team's going down in the Sweet 16, Mike? I... I, I... This is going to be a very, very unpopular choice, um, but I think West Virginia, West Virginia is going to upset Villanova. <laughs> we said the same thing last yeah, week. Exactly. Why do you think that, Mikey? And uh, you know, I, I, I think here, here's the thing, and I think Villanova is a phenomenal team. They have a lot of great players on the team, and they're probably the popular choice to win. And you know, I like I said, I sat there and watched them this weekend. They were amazing. But here's the thing. If they don't shoot the ball well, they can't win. Yeah, because um, they don't have a they don't they don't get it inside. No. They don't have the team that they had two years ago, where they have guys that can really attack the rim well. Um, but you know they they're a jump shooting team. Brunson's a jump shooter. Um, you know, uh, Bridges is a jump shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they have a lot of lot lot of guys who shoot the ball. And the one thing that West Virginia does that and they do really well is. You know, they close out on the shooters. They press you. They get up on your face. They make you put the ball on the floor. I think uh, Huggins has a rule where nobody can shoot the same spot that they catch it. <laughs> and I think that, that I think that that could affect Villanova. And, again, you know, you could be wrong on that because Villanova can come out and hit 17 threes again and blow them out. But I just think, uh, I, I, again, that's not probably the popular choice, but I think there's a chance that West Virginia can come in, run them off the line, make them miss shots, and win that game. Mike, you as a coach would know better than anybody. I didn't know that was a thing you could tell players. No shooting as soon as you get the ball. Why didn't someone say this to Carmelo Anthony nine years ago? <laughs> it's completely derailed the Knicks uh, for almost a decade. Ira, what about you? What team could you see going down in the Sweet 16? I'm going to say who I think is going to go through. I think Loyola is going to – I would say Kentucky. Yeah. Because I, like, I, I think Kentucky – Kentucky didn't make a three. I mean, they, 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 you know, they've been struggling shooting. They're a team that's struggling shooting that are winning. I think Loyola is getting more confident. They, remember, they beat Florida earlier. Now they've, you know, they have confidence beating Tennessee and that beat Miami. That me, that Tennessee game. And, right. And I think they're ready to go. I think they're a team, to me, that looks like they're going to be in the Final Four. And, and wow. I mean, the other – you know, against Gonzaga, Michigan, Texas A&M, and FSU – I mean, Loyola's a team that could play in the championship game. Yeah. They almost have the type of run that Butler had a couple years ago. Yeah. And that was one of the most fun tournaments that, that I can remember. Sean, who's going down in the Sweet 16? I, I had Michigan go into the Final Four, but, I mean, Texas A&M, the way they're playing, I, I, I think that that's going to be a tough game. And especially, you know, the reason why I think it could be an upset is because Michigan has played so well in the past month, month and a half. But, I mean, A&M, just, but just when you watch them, I mean, the, the, the way they're playing inside, I, I – I honestly think uh, A&M's got a real good shot to beat Michigan. Just about a minute or so until Steve Donahue, the coach at UPenn, joins us. Mike, you're getting the boot for an Ivy League League here in a second. Uh, Before I let you go, though, i got to know, Mike, what's your new Final Four now? Oh, the Final Four, I think. um, Let's see here. So I think Kentucky's going to go to the Final Four. I like that side of it for them. They've played really well. Um, I think... Texas A&M is going to surprise on the other side um, and and get to the Final Four. Um, I do think Duke is playing really at a high level right now with Bagley. He's phenomenal the other day. Not that Rhode Island had any size to match up with them, um, but I think uh, they're playing really well. I think Duke is going to get up there. And then, um, you know, it would be West Virginia, and I'm not sure who's on the other side of that one with West Virginia. It would be... If they if after they beat Nova, per, Purdue, um, Purdue, Texas Tech. Um, I, I think I think West Virginia is going to get to the Final Four. A five, a five, a seven, and a two. <laughs> Mikey is you know, likes to pick upsets, but that's why he's the coach at Robert Morris, and we're just uh, gas bags on the radio. Ira, what about you? We're all getting a redo. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
it's the fun thing about the tournament. Anybody can pick anybody, and you just and really, it, you know, it's 17 million brackets, and none are left that are correct. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, Warren, Warren Buffett <laughs> took that that million dollars he was offering and, and burned it <laughs> right after about uh, two yeah. hours into into sure. Thursday. Ira, what about you? We're getting a redo here. New new uh, Final Four for you. Uh, Kentucky. I mean, I'm sorry, Loyola over Kentucky, and then I, wow. and then I think Gonzaga, Nova, and Duke. So. I know you're keeping Duke going through. Yeah, okay. we're going to talk about that in a minute. With the, I think this series is going to be tougher nets. than you think. Uh, Sean, new Final Four. Well, the fact is I still have three out of my Final Four. I just don't have my champion because Coach Mike decided not to tell me that Buffalo was going to embarrass Arizona <laughs> before I made my pick. So I have Nova, Duke, Michigan. Even though I think Texas A&M has a real chance, I, I, I think Michigan can pull that out. I'm going to have to stay consistent to my, to my, uh, my, my bracket. But... I like Kentucky. I really do. Yeah. I think, you know, um, I think Kentucky has the talent to do it. And if you look at, you know, what's left, I, I think they're the most talented team on paper. Uh, just a couple of minutes still. Steve Donahue, coach at UPenn, joins us. So, Mike, I'm going to keep you on the line for just a little bit longer. Let's talk about what I just met, uh, mentioned to Ira. Syracuse, we were saying they didn't deserve to be in the tournament. They've completely redeemed themselves. Won three games now, not just two. Mike, you giving them any shot against Duke? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, the one thing that they've done traditionally over the years is, you know, um, in, the, the, nice, the thing about Syracuse is they play, they play that zone and they play it so well. Oh, yeah. um, and, and, and they cause problems because, you know, most of the time you're not working all week or, all, you know, a lot on your zone. Most of the time most teams play man. So when you go against Syracuse zone, you have to spend some time preparing. Now, the good thing is that they're playing them with – almost a week off so they have time to prepare like if it was a, a game where they played thursday and got to come back and play them saturday i would say syracuse has a much better chance duke's going to have all week to prepare for this zone um which again they don't see that much uh even though duke's playing a lot of zones so they're practicing probably more of it um i, I just think that I, I think duke will handle their zone because they have some time to prepare for it they have enough shooters um and one of the things that they'll do is they'll, they'll, they'll use Bagley in different spots to try to pick that apart. So I, while I think Syracuse is going to have a chance, I don't think they'll beat Duke. Mike Isolino, he's our resident NCAA expert coach at Robert Morris. Mikey, thank you so much for popping by. You're always welcome here on IRA on Sports. 733, this is 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. We'd love to hear from you. 877-960-9960, 877-960-9960. Time to bring in a very special go- uh, very special guest. It's Steve Donahue. Uh, he's the coach at UPenn, three-time Ivy League champion at Cornell from 2008 to 2010. That 2010 team went 29-5 and as a 12-seed, beat the 5-seed 10 and the four-seed Wisconsin to go to the Sweet 16. Little stint at Boston College as well. I'm a big BC guy. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hey, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, Ira, maybe you want to run down uh, their game a little bit more in-depthly. I know that you were, you were watching intently. Tell us about how Penn went. Coach, well, I just want congratulations on a tremendous year. And, um, you know, Penn has, hadn't been the Ivy League, hadn't been to the NCAA tournament in years. And uh, you brought the Ivy League title back in an amazing game against Harvard. But in the Kansas game, I'm getting texts all around the country. I mean, <laughs> you're up 21-11, you know, leading them. Uh, just tell us a little about the game in terms of how your preparation, how your team felt. And, and I know you came up a little short, but you almost were the UMBC before UMBC uh, that game. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, uh, I thought we played really well. I thought we matched the physicality. Um, disappointed at the end of the first half. We try to foul uh, before they get the shot off. We have fouls to give. They call three-shot foul, which kind of uh, really made a four-point mm-hmm. lead, a seven-point lead. However, we cut it back to four. Uh, um, and even as, you know, with six minutes to go, we're down eight. I look at the scoreboard. Uh, we're one for nine from from the foul line, and they're nine for nine. Uh, that you know, you hate to say, it, but we matched everything else. But unfortunately, we hurt ourselves from the foul line, and they did a great job at the foul line. Or otherwise, I think it goes down to the buzzer with a, a one possession game, and we just uh, really shot ourselves. And that's been our Achilles heel. Unfortunately, we worked at it. We've been good at times, but. It really is something that really has hurt us is the foul shooting. 
Um, Coach, you're like one of the only coaches in the country to take a 12 seed and lower to the Sweet 16. So in terms of the advice, I mean, that's pretty, you know, and, you know, you, what would you advice would you give like the Loyola's, those 11 seeds or whatever in terms of how you were able to, first of all, like prepare for this week. Now they've had two upsets in a row, how you went and, you know, having two major wins against Temple and Wisconsin and then going up against Kentucky. What are they thinking now? How are they going to prepare for the following week in terms of now all the media and everything that goes in with it? Yeah, it's not easy, Ira, because um, schools like this aren't used to this. Um, we were obviously not used to it at at uh, Cornell. I thought the best advice would be enjoy it. Have some fun with it. Uh, your kids will be locked in at practice. You can do your work. Uh, but the best chance you have is is to play loose and somehow not let the moment get too big and have some fun. You start thinking that you got to do everything perfect. It's just ends up being something that's not you and that's not how you got there Coach. Uh, for Loyola and Nevadas and and for us then I thought if we didn't make any if we we ended up playing Kentucky with John Wall uh, cousins <laughs> yeah. uh, they had six first round picks <laughs> three lottery picks the sixth man goes in the first yeah. round <laughs> right if anybody else I think we have a good shot and I, I thought we played well but I, that would be my advice to those teams is you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime for these kids. You're not taken away from your prep by enjoying it. Um, it's actually going to help you play looser and free. Coach Steve Donahue joins us. Uh, he's at UPenn. This is Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel, 737. You could chime in, 877-960-9960. Coach, you know, I heard some coaches from smaller programs saying when you go to these tournaments, the smaller schools are staying at Motel 6s. Whereas the Dukes are staying at Double Trees and Best Westerns with spas, is that really the truth when you get there? Well, what it is, it's based on your seating. So, like for instance, we went to Wichita, and there's eight, there's eight seats. So the bottom two eight seats of the eight seats stayed at the. We stayed was actually San Diego State, and it was a very basic hotel. <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure Kansas was staying at the nice one. <laughs> They earned it. They they were number one seed, and uh, it's kind of the way it goes. I, I had no idea that's how it works, Coach. Um, you know, a lot of people we talk. A lot of people talk about in terms of when you see somewhere under new management. You've gone to the Cornell program. They had made the tournament once in fifty-four years. You get to Cornell, take after a couple of years, you take them to three NCAA tournaments in a row. Penn has been. I was out of the tournament for over ten years, a decade. You come to Penn now; they're in the NCAA tournament. What what do you do to change that culture? What's what's the, what's your secret? Is there what? How do you go from not being there? Like what what does it take to actually go from being okay? We're not there. We're, we'd expect to lose, and then suddenly change that culture on a dime and, and have the success that you've had. I think there's a couple things, Iron, very little to do with me, to be quite honest. There's <laughs> there's, there's a commitment uh, to basketball at Penn, as you well know, um, and there's a administration that's really supportive, fans that really love it, facilities that are great. So there's a lot of things in place. I do think the culture thing is a, a huge piece. I thought the best thing we did in our first year is just go get high-character guys that probably won't be starters for us, but would set the tone in terms of work ethic, what we expected, uh, just really incredibly dedicated to winning uh, and to stick to our core values. Yep. Those were the things we did. And then each year after that, I think we brought in more talented players. Yep. But I don't think you can skip that first step. And I kind of probably learned that the hard way. I did it at Cornell. I may have skipped a few steps at BC when I was going to make sure mm-hmm. I didn't do that same mistake here. And I, I thought we had excellent leadership in Matt McDonald and Jackson Donahue and Max Rothschild and kids that are just incredible about the team first and work ethic and want to win and don't care how it gets done. And for this year's team, you know, you have Ryan Bentley and A.J. Brodeur. I mean, two, like, you're set up next year. I don't want to put pressure on you, but <laughs> you have a, you're building a great team. I mean, to have these young players be the stars of your team, um, and they're amazing. If you get a chance to ever watch Penn play, it's a great style of play, great players. I mean, what does, what's the future in terms of what you feel where Penn's going for next year? No, I think it's um, really bright, and I'm not just because of the talent, but uh, you know we have two sophomores that are are all Ivy players. 
our best freshman talent kids didn't play this year. One's out with an ACL, and I think Jelani Williams has a chance to be an all-league player in this. He's a six-five guard. He got high major offers, uh, and he's got a great feel for the game and a great kid. He's practiced this year coming back, and I think this experience of getting to the NCA will help him. I love the kids we have coming in, um, and as I told you from the start, the Penn's a great place. It loves basketball. Philly is an incredible hotbed for basketball, and we're supported. We have the Palestra. We sell out games, um, and obviously you get a world-class education. Yeah, and that's the other point is the quality of the Ivy League play. I mean, for years when I was at Penn, it was Penn and Princeton and the other, other Ivy schools weren't. But right now, I mean, you won the Ivy League against very good quality to competition. And uh, talk about sort of where that league is now compared to the other leagues and certainly what level Penn is at, which is far greater than when I was at that school. It sure is. And, I, and even since I left in 2010, the talent level one through eight in this league has dramatically increased. Two years ago, we had seven top 150 players from ESPN's top 150 head on to our programs. That's, that's, you know, just to give you an example, the A-10 at two. Um, <laughs> we have incredible talent. There wasn't one senior on the all-Ivy teams. Harvard has everybody back. Princeton has their best players. Yale has some of their best players. Cornell is the two best players. They're all young. The league, I think we could have four top 100 teams next year. And we got to work cut out for us obviously within our league, and I think everybody has improved the league. And it's a great league. It really is. It's a much more balanced league than the old days when it was just Penn or Princeton. And I think, I don't know if we'll ever get two in Ira, just because the high majors almost force you uh, to play each other. You don't get a chance at those great games. But I think you're going to see some really good teams from the Ivy League over the next couple of years. It's 7.42, Ira on Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Steve Donahue, very special guest, joins us on the line. He's your coach at UPenn. Shawnee, what you got? Uh, coach, I, I have to ask, only because you saw Kansas up close, you know, in the first round, and I'm staring at Ira right now, and he's got a blue microphone, a blue uh, laptop, his Duke hat on, and his 2015 National Championship uh, shirt on. So if we go chalk the rest of the way, it's going to end up Kansas versus Duke. Who you got and why? You know, um, and I think Bill Self would agree with this. It's not a great Kansas team. It's just it's, I agree. It's a, it's a very good college team. I think the kid Graham is a great college player. Yeah. But we played him in 2010, and they literally had six lottery picks on that. Not all the same <laughs> year, but the Mars, the Mars went. Twins, yeah. Henry, yeah. Cole Aldridge. Yep. Um, and the kid Robinson. I don't know if they have a first-round pick on this team. No. Um, that being said, they really play well together. They're a very good offensive team, but they're nowhere close in terms of talent to Duke. Yeah. So my, my, my answer to you would be, if Duke keeps playing, and actually the zone has actually helped them in the NCAA tournament so different than what you're used to in their length, I think Duke's going to be a tough out. I think Villanova, if things go right, they get them in the semis. That would be an incredible game. Mm-hmm. So, Coach, uh, one last question, and I just, once again, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Just talk more about, I mean, I think that people down here in Florida don't get the sense of what it is to be in Philadelphia and have the fact that Villanova is 10 minutes away, LaSalle's a few minutes away, St. Joe's a few minutes away. I mean, you have all these great schools that are playing basketball, the Palestra, they're playing at the, the, the core states, wherever they call the arena, at Nova's Auditorium. It is amazing, and, and the kids all see each other. Everyone sees. It's just, it's just there's nowhere else in the country that has that, the passion that Philadelphia has about their basketball, and that everyone's selling out their games. Everyone's busy. There's, there, it's amazing. So maybe finish up talking about that, and, and, and thanks again for coming on the show today. Yeah, no problem. Well, I do think it's the, the best big city, college basketball city in America. And I've been to Boston. It's not close to that. I'll give you an example. Last year there was a 12 noon game, Providence versus Villanova at the Wells Fargo, 20,000 sold out. Wow. Temple at 4 o'clock, SMU, 10 grand sold out. Us versus Harvard. 7 o'clock, 7,000 people in the building for a fourth-place game at that time. <laughs> it's just incredible. It's like our fifth franchise, um, besides the Phillies, Eagles, Flyers, and Sixers. Big five basketball is what this, this town lives on. And the excitement over the last week, just 
you know, besides Villanova, us hopping in there and the fanfare of it, it's it's just a fun place to play, coach, and be a fan. And and I'm just really fortunate to be a part of it. But it's a special place. And listen, the Pulaster, to see a college basketball game there, uh, I think that if it's not on your bucket list, it should be. Mm-hmm. You should do, do yourself a favor and go up and catch one of these games up here. Coach Steve Donahue at UPenn, I want to thank you so much for popping by Iron Sports. It's 745. Mike and Sean got you covered as well. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. You can chime in. 877-960-9960. Guys, we still have so much football to talk about. Got to talk about Bay Hill as well. But before we get into it, Ira, I, saw, I said we'd bring it up. What, what do you think is going to happen Syracuse and Duke? I think Duke kills them. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't. I think Syracuse. I mean, that Syracuse Michigan State game was awful. I, yeah. People talk about it. I mean, Syracuse had three assists in the game. Yeah. They, they couldn't. They weren't passing. It, it was just a terrible game to watch. It was boring. It, they were pounding each other. I mean, Duke. I think is just gonna. I think what Coach Johnny just said. Just Duke is just gonna has more talent. And they're everybody. focused. I think they're focused. They're ready to go. And the talent's gonna start to gel. Yeah. And they're gonna win. Now I'm nervous about Duvall again. If Duvall at point plays smart, if he plays well, doesn't turn the ball over and shoots when he's open and makes those threes, and, and, and I think that it just they can't be beat. But I, I just am not concerned about Syracuse. The, at the all. only saving grace that Syracuse has is that zone. They held Miles Bridges to four of eighteen. Wow. This is this is uh, you know the the guy in college you know in college basketball uh, Naismith uh, Award finalist you know could possibly be the best player in college this year um, and held him to four of eighteen. The game before that he was twelve of twenty two. I think he dropped twenty eight. He had what I think what do you have eight six or eight points against Syracuse. So that's the only thing that's going to keep him close in that game. But I think Syracuse can hang. I don't know if it's a blowout, but at the, the Duke's going to grind him out. That's what they do, you know, and, and the way they're looking right now, I mean, it's almost like they look like a professional basketball team. So um, I don't think it's a problem, but that Syracuse zone could be an issue. Let's change gears, guys. NFL, we, we talked last week about how the NFL never fails to entertain. <laughs> We're months away from actual action. Doesn't matter. There's still so much going on. The Jets really shook things up this weekend. They traded, uh, well, they traded two second rounders to the Colts, and a second rounder in 2019 to move from pick six to pick three. Ira, is this a good move? No, I I, I don't get the I move. think it's a lot. I, I They went from – people have to understand, if they lost two more games during the year, they won five. If they lost to Kansas City or Jacksonville, at the end of the year they lost to Kansas City, um, they actually beat Jacksonville earlier in the yeah. year. They wouldn't have to trade. They exactly. traded three second-round picks. They're not a team that's a piece away either. There's a lot no. of holes on that team. No. And you didn't go from six to one. You went to six to mm-hmm. three. three. You jumped, and you gave three number two picks. And these aren't like fifth and sixth rounds, which maybe the player <coughs> – these are players that the Steelers get on second rounds. They're starting next year. I'm, trust me, the Steelers have Who's second round get starters in the fourth. Yes, that this this the second round pick. So they gave three starters just to move up three spots, and I don't get it. And I just think I think you're the Colts, and you made that deal. Supposedly it was like draft day where they called and they had like they had two, and then they called. Can you throw another one in? And it was like Kevin Costner, and they said, "Okay, we'll throw another one in." And they kept asking. I mean, when were they going to stop a, asking? A for bag something? of balls in the washer and dryer. <laughs> it's one of those things that's weird to me. Ira, you brought up the best point of it all. It's not the first pick. It's not the second pick. There's no reason to think Cleveland and the Giants aren't both taking quarterbacks. Yeah. So does that mean that you're that confident in three yeah. quarterbacks? Sean, what do you think about this move? <sighs> because it's not the number one, I think it is a lot. But if we – okay, I think the Jets and the Giants have a, a somewhat good relationship where I, – I said, I, I texted as soon as this came out. I texted both of you guys. I said, they must know who the Browns want at one and who the Giants want at two. But what but, I go but back you don't, to – I understand. But well, – but, but, but these, this makes me think that they're guys, okay with okay. Baker Mayfield or one of these guys. But yet again, these GMs talk to each other. These front offices talk to each other. They're at the combine together. I mean, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that the average fan yeah, doesn't a lot find of smoke out. Screens. Now, here we go, too. Um, I'll say these two things, right? So you looked at what the Redskins gave to the Rams for RG3. Well, it looked like a great trade when they first did it that first year. And then afterwards, like, wow, you gave up so much for RG3. Then also uh, Carson Wentz just a, just a year ago. I mean, he was coming out and 
and and Goff looked like yeah. a bust. They didn't have to trade up. Um, but but the Eagles, I mean, they gave up what three first rounders, I believe, and I think they tossed in a second or a third rounder yeah. there too. Where first year, you know, came out hot, played the first five games, and then towards the end of the season, it's like, okay, he's got an elongated motion. He doesn't look like the number two pick in the draft, and we just gave up a lot of draft picks. And then guess what? Shows up and is playing better than Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers to start the year before he gets injured. So we can't judge this until we get to year two, year three, and see who they actually get. If they go out and they get a guy like Josh Allen, and Josh Allen in three to four years is what people think he can be, not what he is his rookie year, not what he is his second year, but what he could potentially be, we can't judge this. Now, is it too much on paper? Yes, I get it. It looks like that, but but we do this all the time. It's that Monday morning quarterback, and we sit here and we say, oh, it's too much, it's this. Well, if they find the franchise quarterback that's going to be their quarterback for the next 10 years, then it then it's not a, it's it's not too much. I do think that what Iris said, though, resonates the most with me. If this was the number one overall pick, trade whatever yeah. you want. And, we, and, we the number one, and the number one overall pick was Peyton Manning. <laughs> I mean, I, or, I, 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 don't, I, was, I think it has to be... Yeah, there's not even a clear-cut number one. Or the, Andrew Luck. The if, one, this was not, if this was Andrew Luck, this, meant, this of would, course. I, I would make this pick. But there's also another thing, too. If it, you know, it, When it comes to this draft, this draft is very talent-heavy on the upfront. Once you get to the second, third round, yeah, fourth round, 15, I don't think even. a lot of those guys are different. So There's a huge drop off in the top 10, I believe, this year. I mean, yeah, th- but Ridley that's what I mean. So it's, it's I don't not, think he's going to be a, and I don't, an excellent player. And that's my point. So it's like to go from six to three, I think that's a bigger jump than giving up a second rounder and waiting. Now, the Jets, they could use all the talent in the world they th- that they can get, but to go out, we know this is a franchise quarterback. That's who they're getting. They're getting a franchise quarterback. Who that is, we don't know because one, two, let's 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 wait and see. But I don't think we can judge it right now just yet. The but Jets, also, the Jets' picks that they gave up were six. Now listen, it's thirty-seven. So that's like only five away from the from first, first round. round yeah. So that's like a second round pick, but it's a uh, like a close, close to first, like yeah. one a one point uh, yeah. whatever. Eight a ten. character <laughs> issue fall or yes. a and, bad knee and then, somewhere. And then for and then the forty-nine. So really, the two picks in the first so part. Of the second round. I mean, you're the Colts. You're sitting there. Wait, we're picking six. We're picking 37. We're picking 49. Plus, they get their second their round own pick. Yeah. Their own pick. They're just going to be drafting now. Oh, I, I totally and agree. That perfect. The Colts are a team that has so many holes. Yeah. The Giants. I mean, the Jets are a team that have so many holes. But the Colts I don't have like their quarterback. Second round. Uh, of course, it puts you in a lot better <laughs> position. Although we've debated that. I don't know if, how he's going to be. How good, though, in retrospect, does this make John Lynch in San Francisco look? Oh, I'm fra- <laughs> forgetting. Oh not only, uh, not like, uh, I mean, granted, he's a small sample set in Jimmy G. They got him for nothing now. Seeing what the Jets are giving up to not even know who they're going to have. This is amazing. Ira, how do you think this shakes up the top of the draft now? Because I got to think that people are salivating for the Giants pick at number well, two. Jimmy, oh, my God. To, to clarify for people out there, Jimmy Garoppolo, who was on a small sample size playing for the Patriots, but you know played and trained and, and learned under Tom Brady and Bill Belichick <laughs> uh, for, for four years yeah. in terms of experience when people saw him, was amazing in the games, played great. The San Francisco 49ers traded a second-round pick just for him, just yeah. one second-round pick. So now, the, so now in this trade... Three second round picks for somebody who I'm still not. There's no. There's no standout. You really here. don't know who you're getting. No. If you have two, that's what I mean. They must love three guys. You have to. They have to know. You have I'm to love three you, guys. And if they, I, I, I hope they take have... Quentin Nelson and just <laughs> right? really piss off all the Jets fans. <laughs> oh my God. Sean, what about you? How do you think this changes the top of the draft? Oh, I, I think it definitely changes the top of the draft. <gasps> and, I, and and who knows? Who's who says the Jets are done? Who says they don't yeah. they don't trade their first round pick from next year to get to the number one spot to Cleveland to get the guy that they want? You know, that was one of the the scenarios that they were talking about too. They said, hey, the Jets might not be done because they might not know. Yet again, I still think that there's been conversations especially on the giant side of what they plan on doing but you never know i mean another team could, could just come up and say hey we'll give you the same trade to get into the number two pick um you know and we'll give you four for uh, second rounders and the giants could leave so uh, i just i don't know how it's going to play out i think it's scary i wouldn't have done it if i was the jets but you know if they find their guy and they know who's going to be there prowess. no definitely not and uh, and I think the I think the quarterback, and we have, haven't really gone. It will get closer to the draft to explain it. But I think it's Baker Mayfield, and I oh, think yeah, I think one hundred percent think it's Mayfield. And, I think it's I, Baker. And he won't, and I think he's not going to be taken. No one's. They're not going to take him. You're you're making this trade to get Allen, Darnell, Rose, and you're making those things. 
But understand what Baker Mayfield, just a couple stats. First of all, Baker Mayfield played in the better conference. I mean, the Big 12, even though is a mm. pass-happy reach, I mean, he was playing against great teams. He was 12-2 and two the last two years. He played four years of football. He only missed a game on the one suspension, and he really was never injured. <laughs> That's the issue with Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Rosen, Rosen, you know, was 6-6 six and six this year. He was 3-3 three and three the year before. He's had two concussions. Darnell's played two years. Shoulder injuries. Darnell played two years and wouldn't even throw at the combine. Just some oh. little stats here. Mayfield threw for 14,000 yards. That's double what... Allen Darnell have combined. Mayfield threw for 131 touchdowns. Again, Allen, 44 touchdowns, Darnell, 57. He was a walk-on. Allen and Darnell, 43 interceptions, and, and Mayfield, only 30. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm combining Allen yeah. Darnell's numbers. Well, the fact is that and, he's, and he was a 69% completion yeah. percentage. This Josh Allen, who says, oh, the greatest arm, his arm is amazing. He's ridiculously is inaccurate. He's 56%. Darnell was 65%, and Rosen was 60 I'll give you, this year, Allen played Oregon at home. So, okay, I watched that game. I'm like, okay, Josh Allen, the greatest player on earth. I want to see him play against a great Oregon team. Not even great. Okay. An okay Oregon team. He was 9 for 24, zero touchdowns, and and, and for 64 yards at home against uh, Oregon. Yeah. Well, I, I just but don't it's, see He it. also plays for Wyoming. I mean, he does. It's not like he has talent around him, and that's and you that's what, what the scouts every say. Good, every good quarterback in this league he, he came, came out, from a small he, school. He, put it this way. He came out. He went to the Senior Bowl. He was the best player on the field at the Senior Bowl. He's the best quarterback on the field. I mean, that there's no denying that. Go look Looking, go watch it. Go to the combine. Yet again, you have a guy like Darnold who doesn't even throw because he's I, whether he's scared or whatever it is, but doesn't even compete. And Josh Allen, yet again, the best thrower on the field. His mechanics has only gotten better. Think about even the coaching. Think about the coaching that you're getting at Oklahoma compared to Wyoming. You know, it, it, you have a small school guy, and you could go back and you could look at you know, like I said, the Wences of the world, or um, you know, uh, any prospect that comes from a smaller school. You're not going to have those numbers that are jumping off the table. You're talking about Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield, where he's got a left tackle who's going in the first round. He's got that's a center that's going in the second round. He's got a running back behind him that'll be drafted. He had D.D. Westbrook running. Mark Andrews, the tight end, is going to be the second or third tight end taken off the board. I've seen him projected even in the first round. The guy's a freak. Sure, he's probably the closest thing to physically that Travis Kelsey is in the league right now. So where you put talent around these guys, I mean, put Josh Allen on Oklahoma and let's see what they do. Well, that's my thing. A lot of quarterbacks that succeed in the NFL don't have NFL caliber players around them. them yeah. USC, Sam Donald had Juju Smith Schuster last year. Yeah. This guy's going to be like And he played amazing role, last year. Or? No, junior, he was great. This, this I mean this this past year that oh, he, he had it was, was it was definitely a down year because the talent just wasn't there. You know, and he, we always think, "Oh, well, he's playing at USC." Well, USC isn't the same USC team that it's been, you know, in the Reggie Bush mm-hmm. years and all these years uh in, in years past. So, even with Darnold, I take it with a grain but, of salt um thinking about where his numbers are. What's the most important free agent act? This has been a very hectic so far free agency period. Um Ira, what's your most important free ag- free agent acquisition so far? Oh, Kirk Cousins going to Minnesota. I mean, they 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 think they're one piece away, and they don't. They look at that Philadelphia they have a good game. Roster. I, I think they look at that Philadelphia game as a complete aberration. They're thinking, well, if we had that game at home, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I think that I think they're thinking, and and they were not sold on Case Keenan. They weren't sold on their quarterbacks. I mean, during the year, they weren't sold on. They are confident that they feel like this is the missing piece. They, in their mind, view themselves. They don't care what the odds makers say. I know people in Minnesota. They feel we are the favorite. We are going to win the Super Bowl this year. This is our year, and we have the quarterback and. I know Washington like didn't like Cousins and people were this and that. They're like, we have the quarterback. That's what we need. He's going to be a step up. He's going to win those extra games. We're going to go fourteen and two. We're going to get the number one seed. They're going to play skull skull and whatever skull, they do. Skull. And in <laughs> Minnesota, it's going to be loud and they're going to win it. I think that's their their belief is that's what. And Cousins, there's a lot of pressure on him, but he <coughs> seems to embrace this. I mean, he no, wants he does. It. He's he's wanted a chance to prove himself for years. The, the Redskins have done nothing but disrespect the guy. Oh my god! So I'm excited to see him. Who's his best receiver in the history of his? Is tenure there? Pierre Garcon yeah. is your best receiver. Now you got Thielen and Diggs. Dalvin uh, Cook coming back. Deshaun was there early on, and Deshaun was still Deshaun at that point. He's st- still Deshaun now. I've always hated yeah. that guy. Um, Sean, most important free ac- free agent acquisition for you? I think it's not even uh, well because he was a free agent. I don't know if it was an acquisition, but it was more keep him at home. Drew Brees going back to the Saints. You know, first time in his career where he had what I think two two thousand yard rushers. Mm-hmm. You know, Alvin Kamara is a monster. Uh, He's going to win Rookie of the Year. They got Demario Davis uh, coming. I think they just signed Alex Oak. 
Okafor. Uh, the talks have been uh, and Dominican Sue going there. I know he's going to make a free agent visit there, but he was going to go to a few places. Um, I think this is the most complete team that he's had since those Super Bowl runs. And when you watch, they weren't even that complete he, then. And that was even, Drew Brees, exactly. And that's the point. Drew Brees at this point, because of the run game and because of the dink and dunk that he has with Kamar coming out of the backfield, he doesn't have to be Drew Brees. You know, Drew Brees still threw for you know over his four thousand yards. He disappointed fantasy owners a lot. Of course, they he were did. running he was, the ball. He was so my much. quarterback, and every <laughs> single time, I hated Mark Ingram more than anybody. But I will say that it, it's finally a time where he has weapons in the run game that he's never had before, and that defense is only getting better. Marshawn Lattimore is is in, in his rookie year, I think, already the best corner in the game. I mean, he was such uh. a short. No, I mean, he was unbelievable, and to get him in his second year, it's only going to get better. And I think. He Keeping Drew Brees there, I don't think the Saints are that far away from competing for a Super Bowl. It's 8 o'clock on the button. This is Ira on Sports 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike and Sean, we're here as well. Going to go about, let's say, five minutes or so over. Still a couple of things I need to touch on. Uh, let's try to keep these quick, though. Ira, Packers crazy to cut Jordy? There must be. I mean, these sometimes when you see a, a move like that. I mean, fifty-eight concussions. For people to understand, um, um, Nelson was uh, the uh, Jordy Nelson was, was Aaron Rodgers' favorite receiver for – about seven, eight years. So, but Rogers didn't seem happy about the cutting either. So, is it, what, what's it saying that's about? It's weird. To it's me. it's a situation that's like you know you're now taking. I, I don't see Antonio Brown getting cut from the or <laughs> from the Steelers for you know because of Ben, but. I, I just I felt it was a surprise move, but there has to be something. They they must have looked at his medicals. Uh, he was injured, and he's been injured, and uh, they might feel that he yeah. just doesn't have it anymore. He was signed within about eight hours by Oakland. Yeah. I mean, so the, there is still interest. I thought the Patriots were going to be all over that. Sean, what about you? Crazy to get rid of Jordy? This is Aaron's guy. Yeah, I think it's crazy, but at the end of the day, when you look at it, too, it's a business, and you got a guy that's you know north of 30. Um, I think... When Who's you, your number one now, Devontae Adams? Yeah, they just, they just paid him. They just gave him, what, $35, $45 I, I, million? Dollars. He he's not a number one in my He opinion. was a number one this year. I mean, he was a number one the year when Jordy went down, too. So Devontae Adams, I, is, is you know, is he is he the superstar that Jordy was? No. But you just gave this guy 40-something million yeah. dollars to be that guy. So he has to be that guy. And I think, what is he, 26, 27, where Jordy's, I believe, 33, 34 at this point. So you save about, I think it was when I saw the numbers, it was about $6 million in cap space. Um, you got you carry about $2 million in dead money because uh, I think his salary is about eight. You're still paying Randall. Cobb from the money that you gave him um, and it opens up you to go uh, to, to now also open up the tight end game because you signed Jimmy Graham so when you look at it from an offensive perspective it's not completely out of the realm when you looked at the numbers it's like oh Jordy had a bad year well I, Mike we talked about it before I think he was fourth in the league when Rodgers was still his quarterback in yards per catch at about uh, I think it was like 8.9 or something like that he dropped down to 82nd in the league when Hundley took over so I don't think that his decline is as 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 steep as everybody else might think it is but I also think that this was a move the Packers had to make just because of age because of where the money went to Devontae Adams they had to pay Jimmy Graham you know the I think he got like a two or three year deal so you know not to say it was time I think they're crazy but at the same time that's how you clear cap space and you, and you bring on some other players we're talking about big free agent acquisitions and I think there's one that might slide under the radar and maybe it's because I'm a big UT homer but when Corderell Patterson is drafted <laughs> Um, what was it, maybe like six years ago now. He went 29 overall. I really thought he was going to blow up at the Vikings. He really was never anything more than a special teams player. Yeah. And he was good at special teams. He's been an all-pro uh, as, as a special teams player. Now he's going to go with Tom Brady. And Cordero Patterson's game reminds me of Randy Moss. I don't know, Ira. Do you think maybe Cordero Patterson finally hits that potential that we saw at UT? Well, I mean, Tom Brady has known. I mean, yeah, that's he, what I mean. He takes he takes everybody that's these you know court. I mean, Hogan didn't even play college football. Mm -hmm. Chris Hogan. Wes Welker was a bum in Miami, and and he can make everyone look great. And when you have a when he throws it so accurately, and he's you know certainly the preparation and the routes they yeah. run, and, and also the offense and how detailed it is. I mean, certainly anybody who's put in that system, I'm looking to see an uptick in their production. Corderell can really stretch the field. So can Brandon Cooks. So now you've got a lot to deal with. Plus, with the, you know all their under routes that they're going to be running with, with yeah. Edelman, it's going to be difficult to deal with. You see anything out of Corderell this year? Um, the thing with me for this is, I think this is solely a, a special teams gadget type of player. You know, you have Philip Dorsett, who's that you know who's that go receiver uh, who they they had the trade with the Colts to get last year. Um, 
because Corderell, this is his problem, right? All the talent in the world. And by the way, Mike, he's going to be sending you flowers because nobody has ever compared him to Randy Moss in his entire the, life. The playing so style. I, just, oh, I don't know what that is, but I think Randy Moss is the best, to, second best to ever do it next to Jerry Rice. And Corderell Patterson maybe you know, in the top 100, Same hopefully, this year. Type. I get it. No, I understand. I understand. What <laughs> I, I understand. Shut the field big. Go get it. His problem is, and this is, this is what you see with the Patriots, especially on their wide receivers, you'll see guys and you're like, how come this guy can't get on the field? Because he can't run routes. He hasn't been able to run routes with the Vikings. He's got serious he hasn't done, issues. He hasn't done it with the Raiders. And you think that's Bill Belichick's just going to – And you th- and that's why you have Philip Dorsett because guess what? Philip Dorsett runs a 4-3-5, you know? So I, I see him solely as a return guy and a little gadget, little dink and dunk, throw a screen out there once in a blue moon. But no, I don't think it's an impact whatsoever. we got to make this quick, guys. Uh, Tiger Woods finishes fifth at Bay Hill, Ira. This is your boy, Roy McElroy, by the way, did win this one. Hasn't won in 539 days. What's your takeaways from Tiger? Um, well, he was in it up until, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting trying to watch Rory the, played great on Sunday. Uh, oh, R- yeah. Rory was making his putts. I mean, when Rory makes his putts, I mean, his strokes are perfect. I'll have to say this is, I have, you know, I'd like to give an insight that I don't think other people have. I haven't, no one, Tiger being back has motivated Rory. Uh. Is it not amazing? Phil Mickelson got his first win in three years, and now Rory gets his first win in two years. And now they're all complaining about the noise, and the dr- now Cut the t- Rory thinks yeah. there's people drinking because there's more fans. I just think there's this focus. I mean, the fact that Rory was just drifting along, playing with his great strokes and hitting good shots and bad shots, and now putting it all together. I think Tiger's back, and everyone is just... It's its its not just Tiger, it's the, the media, the attention, the fans, everyone's watching them, oh, yeah. the pressure and i think it's making them everybody better golfers so because of it let's talk about our bold predictions uh going forward this is something that it could happen if it did we'd all be amazed and we'd be giving props to mike Isolino uh, for yeah. picking a massive upset sean bold prediction for you what do you think's gonna happen in the next week in sports i don't know how about this i'm gonna say clemson over kansas a five beats the one and then duke has an easier path to the final four uh ira what about you something crazy in our bold predictions Loyola going to the, I think Loyola is going to go to the final four. That's I'm so mad that that UT lost to them because this seems like a cakewalk match now to the to the Elite Eight, and it just really kind of kind of bummed me out. But I'm a little bit with you on that one. We are just about out of time here on Ira on Sports. I want to thank so much Steve Donahue, coach at UPenn, for stopping by. Mike Isolino as well. Ira, where are you headed? Where, where, where are we going this week? Uh, maybe Los Angeles to watch the uh, regional, the the regional in LA. You're gonna be some at some regional. <laughs> we know that he's booking plane tickets right now on his yeah. iPhone. Like I said, we're out of time. On behalf of Ira and Sean Lagrega, I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's catch up next Friday, um, next Monday night on Ira on Sports.